Welcome to episode 301 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent and Jason here as always. And this week we've got what I would like to say is a very, very cool one. Because we've got John Karabi here. Right. So that's something that we've been working towards for the last 300 episodes, in my opinion at least. I don't know about you. Well, you did it. <laughs> you did it. Right. I When we start talking about this, I'll try not to geek out too much, but I can't really promise that. Right, right. And that's okay. And I think you're there with me, too. Oh, yeah, that, but totally. Not, you're a little more able to subdue it, I think, but at least when it comes to this. But <laughs> we'll get into that here in a second. First, got to let you know that we are sponsored by DEB Concerts, a promoter based in Tulsa that has brought a lot of killer acts to the downtown Tulsa area at the BOK Center and the IDL Ballroom. They also booked the Roadhouse Stage at Rocklahoma. The show on December 12th with Lita Ford was recently canceled, but if you like Lita Ford, no worries, because April 10th, downtown Tulsa, outdoors in front of the Ideal Ballroom, Queensryche will be performing with Lita Ford, Nita Strauss, and the Bullet Boys. Very cool lineup there. You can get all your ticket info, debconcerts.com. Follow them on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. We, of course, will keep you up to date on any other new additions to their calendar or any other reschedules as well. So keep it here and follow DEB Concerts. Hell Hot Hot Sauce is a hot sauce company located out of the San Francisco Bay Area that makes small batch artists and hot sauces. You can check out their entire product line at their website, which is hellhothotsauce.com. You can also follow them on their socials. Both Instagram and Facebook are at Hella Hot Hot Sauce. They do a lot of collaborations. They've got a couple with some metal artists like Ghoul has a sauce called Brain Jerk. And Florida Frank from Hatebreed has a sauce called Florida Frank's Florida Heat. We've got a lot of that and it's excellent stuff, but it'll it'll burn your insides pretty good. So if you're interested in hot sauce, Get on hellhothotsauce.com and check out what they've got. If you're on the West Coast, you can find them in a lot of stores out there as well. Get on there and tell them we sent you. Sunset Tattoo. It's a tattoo shop in Midtown Tulsa. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed. They are mother approved. Jake and his crew have over 25 years of experience. They do excellent work. You can see photo proof of all that work on their Facebook, which is Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. Their Instagram is also at Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. You give them a call or shoot them a message. You can set up a time to get over there, talk about what work you want to have done. If you contact them, check them out, tell them Thunder Underground sent you. And finally, Med Farm is a dispensary in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, 24683 East Highway 51, right off the highway. Can't miss them. Huge selection, and you can check it all out at leafly.com. They've got a drive through If you call ahead or text ahead, they'll have your order ready right when you show up. So that's very convenient. They also give 30% of their proceeds to build no-kill animal shelters, which is a pretty badass cause that we're very happy to talk about here. If you also mention Thunder Underground, they give you 10% off your first order. They're always running other specials as well, so if you can follow them on our socials, MedFarm is P-H-A-R-M on Facebook, and MedFarmOK on Instagram. 
We won't miss any of that stuff. And a huge thank you to Medfarm. All right, so before we get into this crabby stuff, we got to talk about the Wolf Van Halen stuff. <laughs> That's I was I was gonna spring this on you because okay. I didn't know if you'd listened or not yet. Well, you springed it on me. You, you springed it right? on me last time, so I prepared. I was like, one of these two, I'm gonna do it <laughs> that we're doing today. Okay, well then. Well, go first. let me preface, I looked on YouTube and couldn't find the other song. Right, well... And I didn't dig through the Sirius XM app to find the Howard Stern show or nothing. Yeah, but like, yeah. So I've only heard the distance. Okay. And I know you said you thought that one was a little cooler. Or, oh, it was... Uh, I definitely... <laughs> I won't mince words, it was way cooler. Okay. Not taking it, but no, I want to hear yours, so go ahead. And then I'll okay. Go. I mean, it's a, it's a good song, it didn't blow me away but it's one of those things where it's like if i just heard this and it was just some random person you never heard of i'd be like all right right but it's kind of the sentimental or the emotional value around it with mm -hmm. the video and everything you know obviously elevates it mm -hmm. not saying that his music needs elevating by that but right. i mean he's great at what he's doing so far what we've heard i mean we know he's an excellent musician mm -hmm. he's got a good voice he was Filling in Michael Anthony, for God's sake. He's right. one of the best oh, yeah. backup vocalist of all time. Exactly. But, so anyway, to, you know, to hear, you know, because he's been talking about the solo album for a few years now. So to finally hear something's really cool. And I really want to hear the other one because I know you said it was more along the lines of what you kind of expected. Exactly. From the work you had done with Tremonti and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. But so what's your thoughts on the distance? Um, It's, you know, it's your rock ballad type kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, I'm in no way am I saying that in a bad way, uh, but it, it just, it just is the one takeaway from it is this, this guy's voice, which I think is for me, I talk myself in circles here. Uh, there's so many points coming into my brain, which one's going to come out. I don't know, but <laughs> it, it's like, there's no doubt he has, you know, he, I mean, he's definitely inherited, you know, the Van Halen talent. Right. Okay. Um, but I think, and you know, when you can, this song is simple and it's a ballad, but you know, but constructing something that simple is not always that simple. Um, and so I think to, to come out of the gate with this and to have, um, you know, uh, a song like this, um, you know, it, it, it does show kind of your prowess for, for, you know, for putting something like this together. You know, you, you know, you have the right building blocks to, to build that song. So that, that's great. Um, so I, I haven't heard the rest of the record, so I don't know, but, you know, I think that, I think this guy's calling card, you know, Alex Van Halen's drums, his dad was guitar. I think this guy, it's going to be his voice. Um, that's the thing I was most impressed with. Um, and, uh, that's something I think is going to really turn a lot of heads when his, when you start, when his album comes out and you start hearing, you know, all the different stuff. Um, so there's that. That's just kind of what I think. I, I don't, and this is no slag to him or any other band that does this. I just, I, I don't get excited for songs like that. Right. You know, just run of the mill radio ballads. I just, I don't know. I, I, I just couldn't, I can't be bothered. Um, 
Well, we've heard it all so many times. Yeah. The video, you know, anyone that has a dad, which is all of us, <laughs> and, 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 you know, especially if we've had, you know, a dad that's passed on or a parent that's passed on, uh, you know, that this video pulls on your heartstrings a bit. So watch that. It's a fitting tribute to his dad. Um, the other song, you know, I've heard it. I think it's called You're to Blame, I think. And yeah, you, you'd have to just look up the Wolf, Wolfgang Van Halen interview on the Howard Stern on the Sirius app. And it's towards the end. But I mean, I don't know. Who are we kidding? The goddamn song's probably going to be out in a month anyways. Right. Cause his record's coming out in January, February. Okay. So, but yeah, it's just like I told you. I mean, he, he is totally of that Tremonti, Seven Dustish, Alter Bridgish kind of ilk. Okay. And, uh, it is a great fucking song. I mean, it, it, and it's, he's, you know, his guitar work in it is badass. Uh, his voice is insane. Um, so yeah, I mean, you will like it. I, I know that you, you'll be like, okay, all right, got it, <laughs> got it. So, you know, I, I, I am, I, I, you know, really wasn't excited about it, but when I heard that song, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So now I'm really looking forward to what he's going to do. Yeah. And the other interesting thing is most people, especially releasing an album, especially if it's your debut, don't debut with a ballad. Right. right. But I think it's obviously a circumstance. Yeah, definitely. It makes perfect sense in this instance. Mm -hmm. So my guess is the majority of the album would probably lean on what you're talking about. The other song sounds like, but you never know. It could be one of those, one of those albums that, you know, have a lot of different styles going on. Right. You know, I've heard I've heard the Howard Stern interview, heard the Eddie Trunk interview, and Eddie Trunk point blank asked him, "Are you, you know, you got one album when you start playing out? Are you going to do any Van Halen covers?" And he said, "Absolutely fucking not." And right. that was I was so glad to hear that. Yeah, one because he should do his own stuff, and two because all the goddamn Van Halen nerds out there uh, probably got butt hurt, and I think that's funny. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, I saw <laughs> I saw some tweets about that, and like. Directly from him, because I think there was a news story, and then, mm-hmm. or someone had made a tweet or something, and he actually responded to it. And yeah. So at least he's being upfront about this, because, you know, I know he's made some other tweets about, you know, like, rumors of, you know, mm-hmm. Van Halen with him on guitar or whatever. Right, it's terrible. He's like, that's Stupid. absolutely ridiculous, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, so if you're not familiar with this, it's called, it's not actually under his name, it's called Mammoth. I'm Well, if you... Google Wolfgang, Wolfgang, you're going to find it, but it's mm-hmm. listed under Mammoth WVH. Right. And if you're not a diehard Van Halen fan, of course, that's a reference to Van Halen's original name. Yes. Before they were named Van Halen. Right. We're looking forward to hearing that whole thing in a couple months. Oh, definitely. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. Well, speaking of Van Halen... We talk about Van Halen quite a bit with John Grabby. Right. Among many other people recently. If we had if you didn't know we had a Van Halen Eddie Van Halen tribute episode come out early, you know, a couple weeks after he passed away, so about a month and a half ago. Had a lot of great people on it, like Jim Wilson, Frank Hannon, Mark Slaughter, Robin McCauley, Mitch Perry, Paige Hamilton. Eddie Valise. Well, and then we talked to Karabi after that was recorded. And, of course, it still was 
this episode now is recorded, or this interview with Krabby is now recorded over a month, mm-hmm. probably about five weeks ago now, because it was when he played in Tulsa, I believe it was October 23rd. So it was still pretty fresh, so we talked quite a bit, and he's got some excellent stories because he actually performed with Eddie Van Halen at a backyard party at Eddie Van Halen's house, and he's also got some other great stories about Eddie's studio and everything, but along with that, we get into everything. His solo work, Dead Daisies, even some Motley Crue, I believe, and everything, but I would just like to say that toot my own horn here. I'm proud of myself. Did talk to John Crabby for like an hour and 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I never once mentioned the scream or Motley Crue. Good. Well, there you go. Is that, that's that, pretty unbelievable. If you know me. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, he brought up Motley Crue, so it's there, you know, but right. Yeah. Let him do it. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. And you know, that's, I, you know, I don't know. I think that's more with these, these guys, I, I would think probably appreciate that. So yeah, that's, that's cool. That's cool. Before we get into that, let's play some music. Right. I was just rolling my head and you forgot to do that a minute ago. This song came out, well, the original song of this came out like 40 years ago, but right. this version of the song just came out a couple weeks ago. We'll talk about it here in a second, but here is a cover of Saturday Night Special with John Crabby on vocals. One, two, one, two, three, vote.
Saturday Night Special. Brand new cover version with John Karabi. That also features Brian Forsyth of Kicks, who has actually been on this podcast before. Yes. He wasn't supposed to be a guest, which was very cool. It was with Mark and uh, Steve. Steve. But all five <laughs> of them were in there. All five were in there, and they all... They all chimed in at different points. Yeah. Uh, I thanked Brian personally for the guitar sound on uh, their newest record. Right. Like the fucking dork I am. <laughs> <laughs> this also featured Greg Smith, and it's very cool because I thought this was kind of fitting to play this because obviously it's got Krabby on vocals. Mm-hmm. It's something that's been... Became a thing in 2020 where you hear musicians getting together and collaborating, you know, via Zoom or however long distance on making cool covers like this. And on top of that, I know both of us have been Skinner fans our whole life. But oh, I feel like over the past few months, you've been on a, I a really rejuvenated kick, yeah. Skinner kick. So what were your thoughts on hearing this? Uh, well, I mean, it's a, it's one of their best songs. Yeah. And, you know, to, to see, you know... John and Brian on this was great. Uh, and, I mean, Krabi's vocals, man. Yeah. I mean, he kills anything. So this was really fun. Uh, yeah, we, we watched it this morning. Um, and, and, you know, thanks to that camp for letting us play it. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of people on these podcasts just grab anything. You know, we at least like to have, you know, a blessing of some sort. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, anytime you've heard a national act on here it's legit right and i'm proud of that (laughs) so yeah this was great it was great all around yeah like you mentioned krabi i mean he's done some other covers throughout his time he's been on a few of those compilations and then like dead daisies even did fortunate Mm -hmm. son and a few other things and he's got a perfect voice for that 70s rock and roll when it comes Mm -hmm. to whether it be skinner or aerosmith or even van halen i know he's done some covers of that before too so but yeah, so check this one out. It's on both of their, you know, you can find it on any of those guys' Facebooks. Or just listen to it here again. But if you want to see the video, there you go. And on top of all that, remember BPMD did a cover of that this year as well. Yeah, they did. And that was pretty cool. But Karabi, without like gushing too much, I mean, outside of... We have both stated on this podcast many times that the 94 Motley Crue album is one of our favorite albums of all time. Mm-hmm. Each of us have that same feeling. Oh, oh, definitely. Outside of that, what's your favorite thing you've ever heard from Krabby? I like the Union. Yeah. You know, I, I really I really enjoyed that record, those records. Um, I would have to say that. Yeah. I love his Dead Daisy stuff, um, but I, I like the Union. I really did. Right. Yeah, I thought that, I mean, that was so cool when that, when that debuted, because, you know, he had recently left Motley Crue and Bruce Kulik had recently left Kiss. And, like, that was, I'd really latched onto that era of Kiss with him and the band. Right. And to see these two guys get together, I was just beyond ecstatic. And then that album was freaking great. You know? Oh, definitely. The first, both both albums, but the first album especially. And I'm a massive fan of the the, the Scream album, Let It Scream. You know, I'd actually, I'd mentioned this just on our very last episode, episode 300, that when we were talking to Severmind about that Bo Nasty album yeah. that Lonnie gave me, he also gave me the Scream album. So I knew <laughs> I was fully aware of John Crabby before he joined, joined Motley Crue, unlike, you know, 
a lot of people that don't want to listen to stuff off the radio. Mm-hmm. If you were entrenched in that 80s scene, I'm sure you knew who Scream was well before Motley Crue right. pulled up Karabi. But regardless, Dead Daisies has several albums now with, with Karabi. He's, of course, left them. That's something else we talked about coming up. And he's got a great solo acoustic album that came out. Man, that's probably been eight or nine years ago now. But he's also working on a full-length, full-band solo album right now. Awesome. That's something else we talk about. So let's just get into it. Here's John Karabi. drums with you on that Motley 94, 94 yeah. tour, right? Yeah. So is he just helping you out on tour right now? Yeah, he's just, or? I haven't seen him. He's, he, he, uh, I did the Motley 94 album and then I was doing the Dead Daisies for five, uh, four years almost. Right. Four, fifth, I joined in 15, left in 19. So yeah, four years. And uh, in that time frame, he was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, so he went and he was doing gigs with Tantric. And um, now he's with a band called Rehab. Okay. So he's doing that. And um, I haven't seen him. So I was getting ready to go out. And he goes, are you going out on tour? I go, yeah. He goes, need any help selling merch or anything? I go, yeah, fuck it. Come on. You know, so it was cool. It's cool having him on the drive, you know what I mean? Because I'm driving that beast out there. So <laughs> just having him and just hanging out, you know, and he's been kicking ass selling my merch, so it's cool. But um, hopefully 2021, uh, I'll get him back again. And the guys in my regular solo band, Jeremy and Phil, or they also play with... Uh, Gene Simmons, Ace Freely, Phil was also playing with Accept. Okay. So they're, you know, whatever. But I, I know I got a bass player and a drummer at this point. So we'll see. But I'm working on a new record and just finished a book during this time. So it's going to be cool. Cool year. Cool. Well, yeah, I saw your, your post this the other day about the record that you're working on it. Like, what's the status on that? Like, well, how far along are you? I started recording, and then the COVID thing hit. Okay. And everybody, you know, it's still so fucking, like, it's like, you know, up, and then it starts going down. Everybody gets complacent, and like, okay, we can go back to work, you know, and then it goes back up again. And I, I've got, you know, I mean, even last night, I, you know, I had a few people like, come on, dude, just take a photo, take the mask off. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like, I, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I don't know what's going on. I'm not taking any fucking chances. I'm 62 years old. I smoked for most of my life. You know what I mean? I'm not taking any chances. I want to fucking be around doing this shit for a long time. I may never get, you know, knock on wood, whatever. But um, so anyway, I started the record. Marty's a bit of a germaphobe. Okay. So we stopped dead in our tracks. <clears throat> in the meantime, I wrote a book. I've been still writing. And then I put myself through a class to learn how to do Pro Tools at my house. So 
like right now, I just talked to Marty this morning. He's actually working on a song that I've recorded the entire everything at my house. And I just sent it to him. And he's like, oh, this is cool. But I'm a beginner. So, like, the drums and the guitars are a little off. So he's just taking it and putting it, quantizing things and putting it in line with a click track and making it sound better. You know what I mean? But uh, So I've been pretty busy. I mean, you know, in regards of, you know, I haven't really been working, but I've been working, you know, at home. But we just now uh, are starting again. So now what I'll do, just in all due respect to Marty, and I'll go home and I'll do another test just to make sure that I didn't pick something up on the road, whatever. I'll stay at home, work in my home studio. And then as soon as I get a negative test, then I'll go back in and I'll start working again with him and full steam ahead. Do you know what I mean? But... I'm just trying to be safe, you know what I mean? And, like, I don't want to – I would feel like complete shit if I picked something up on these two shows that I'm doing and then took it home and gave it to Marty or, you know, whatever. So right. it's a different time we live in. <laughs> but well, what's it like working with him? As a dude, Mar- I love Marty. And, and, and one of the things that I, you know, in my parting – I don't want to say argument, but disagreement – um, with the Daisies was they had been talking about possibly switching producers. And I'm a firm believer, man, in like all the bands that I grew up listening to. You know, you had like, now I'm dating myself, but you know, even the early Aerosmith stuff, you know, they found a combination with them and Jack Douglas that worked. And Queen with Roy Thomas Baker and the Beatles with George Martin. And, you know, and I believe that a producer tends to be, you know, in context with a band like the the other member because they figure out everybody and how everybody likes to work and they make it work and then they contribute to the whole thing. And, you know... I, I felt that the record the Daisies did with Marty, uh, Make Some Noise, was a great album. I felt uh, the Burned Down at record was a great album. And I wanted to continue on with them. They wanted to make some changes. And I'm like, nah, man, like, you, you got to find that symmetry with the, you know, the guy that's taking all the ideas and funneling it and making it sound good. So I told Marty, I said, you know, listen, I'm, I'm going to leave the daisies. And um, I love working with him because, A, he's a great producer as far as sounds and tones and vibe. But he's also a great songwriter. That Aerosmith stuff he did, he not only produced it, but he co-wrote Jaded with Steven Tyler. He wrote a lot of that stuff with Joe Perry and Steven. So I get in with with Marty and I, I'll just have like an intro riff and he's like, Oh, that's, that's cool. Okay. Let's work on this. And we'll literally sit down in an hour and map out a song and I'll just put it on my phone. Then I'll go home and I'll follow either what I'm scatting or what he's scatting. 
I'll sit down, I'll write the lyrics, I'll send it back to him. I go, here's what I'm thinking. And he goes, yeah, your name. Or, yeah, this is really good, but let's change this couple words here and there. And uh, so I just love working with the dude. He's super creative, and he knows what he's doing when he gets behind the board. So um, I'm hoping that this becomes, you know, kind of a long-term collaboration thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. So is everything that you guys are working on for this album stuff that you guys worked on together, or is any of it music you had previously? Well, the last song that I just, uh, it's uh, most of it's stuff that him and I worked on together. Um, I do have a song that I worked on with a buddy of mine, Dan Carcos, who actually co-wrote with me for my acoustic record. Um, Dan and I worked on a song. I kind of had a majority of it, and Dan's got a studio as well. And uh, I was at his house, and he kind of heard the song. And it was more of an arrangement thing, but I'm kind of making him songwriter. And then I wrote a song called Laurel that is um, Marty's working on right now that I kind of wrote the whole song, and I gave it to Marty. And I said, hey, dude, you know, uh, check this out. And, and when I first played it for him on my phone, he was like, yeah, it's cool. So I didn't get like a really positive, oh, yeah, this is killer. Let's, you know. So when I did the, I took the classes to learn how to do Pro Tools, I was kind of getting a vibe like Marty doesn't like this. I'm going to record this so that he kind of gets the vibe of what I'm talking about. And I did the whole thing. I did, you know, little MIDI drums and bass, guitars and solos, everything. I did vocals, backing vocals, and I sent it to him. And he was like, fuck, this is great. That's the that's what I was looking for, you know what I mean? So right. I sent that to him. So there's going to be a couple things that I wrote myself. and then most, But most of it is me and Marty writing together. Okay. And, you know producing and even the producing part of it um like even today i was talking to marty and i said well the song laurel i do a double chorus at the end i go i'm not really sure about the double chorus i think it should either be half and go into the tag at the end or i should redo the second half of the chorus where i just sing the sing the word laurel and then little guitar stabs in between out you know and he agreed. So I'm kind of helping with the production as well because I, I know what I'm hearing in my head. But I'm excited about it, man. It's a full, my first full electric band, all new original material record, that, you know. So I'm, I'm, it's going to be cool. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, as far as under your name as a solo artist, the only thing you've done is the acoustic album. Well, I did the acoustic and then the so, Motley 94 thing. Right. But I mean, as far as like new music, like you just said, a full band. So what's what's the well? There sound was new be? music. There was new music on the acoustic record. I plugged that, but I mean, as a yeah. full band, like, full band. What yeah. do you expect this to be akin to as far as the sound? Uh, I, all I can say is seventies. Okay, because um, I got a song on the record. Um, I got a song on the record called "It's." So beautiful. It's so beautiful, but I did it in Italian, so it just, I don't know. 
dress it up a little more. It's like an Armani suit is a black suit, whatever, you know what I mean? But I, I basically, it's called Casi Bella. And, but it's, it's just, I don't want to say pop. It's got balls to it. So if I had to liken it to something, it reminds me of Killer Queen by Queen. So, I, but I'm just going just seventies. This is the shit that I love. I grew up with. So I got some stuff that's very Zeppelin-esque. I got stuff that's just swampy, acoustic, dobro blues. And then I got some stuff that's very 70s pop. You know what I mean? Frampton. uh, Old Frampton or Queen or whatever. And I'm just throwing it all together and hoping, you know, whatever. But without dragging on the answer... I think the coolest thing about the music industry right now is nobody's selling any records. So you pretty much have fucking free reign to do whatever the fuck you want because it's not really a guy like me. I'm never going to get on the radio ever. I'm never going to get on MTV. So I'm like, oh, fuck it. I might as well just do what I want. You know, so if it's really eclectic or too eclectic for people's tastes, it's really you know what I mean it doesn't really matter at this point right you know what I mean so I'm just doing what I want well, that kind of plays into a question I had which was everything you've ever done has always been well received by fans and critics but but not at the always, time it's always yeah it's always been later and it's yeah. always kind of flown under the mainstream radar even the Molly Crew album is yeah. kind of under that radar so it's like does that bug you or is that something you no, about it, or ever thought about you know listen I, I I would be lying. I would it would be remiss if I didn't say that I'd love to put a fucking record out and have it sell five, ten million copies. You know what I mean? I mean, nowadays, if it sold a couple hundred thousand copies, would be, you know, I'd sit in the intersection and jerk off. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But those days are gone. For I, I want to say they're gone. There's some stroke of universal luck that could happen and I could be on my way. I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't say that I, I would love to have that luck. But at the end of the day, man, like I said, I'm 60, fuck, I'll be 62 in April. I'm still doing what I want to do. I've got a great wife. I've got two great kids. I got killer grandkids. I'm still making a good living. This year's a little shitty, but uh, for the most part, I'm making a good living. I'm doing what I love to do. I'm I'm being cr- as creative as ever. Fuck, ah, man, you know what? Can, what more can you ask for? You know what I mean? I could sit here and cry over spilt milk and the records that I feel should have sold better, but it, it is what it is. I'm just that guy. I don't know whatever. I'm like show up to the party and and uh, you know, but shit, just like you said, just. My whole career, The Scream, Motley, Union, uh, The Dead Daisies, we'll see. That verdict is still out. But, you know, it's just for some weird reason, my records seem to click and connect with everybody like 10 years later. (laughs) You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, all I've ever really asked for is to be, I can't say like Paul McCartney, because, again, Paul McCartney sold a gazillion records. But the one thing that I think people will say about Paul McCartney when he goes, 
knock on wood, hope he never does, but we're Eddie Van Halen. Fuck, dude. Like, the body of work was fucking stellar. That's what I'm looking for. I don't really get, you know, I, I'm making a living. Like I said, I have a great house. I get to coach. I'm I'm not starving to death, you know, <laughs> even during the COVID thing. You know, I was one of the, I was lucky, blessed to be able to go, fuck, like, I'm not getting any money from the government. I'm not getting anything. But I had enough money in my bank account where I could feed myself and take care of my family over this last four or five months. So life is good, man. You know, it's. It is what it, it is. What you make it. Yeah. Well, I did. I wanted to ask about the dead daisies, and I wasn't sure if you wanted to talk about it. Or you brought it up, and like so, when that happened, there wasn't much. Nothing really came out. It was just kind of like, bam, Glenn Hughes is in the band now, and John and Marco aren't. And then you heard a little bit later that you guys decided to go off and do your own projects. I just didn't know if that was it, or if you were. It was well, a mutual decision, that kind of thing, or what? I don't know what Marco's situation yeah. was, because when I left, Marco was in the band. Right. So I can't speak for Marco. But the bottom line of it is, it, it, it's just, that band is great. I loved being in that band. But when they first called me in 2015, I was already out doing stuff. I, I had a killer band. My son, which I love playing with him on, I love turning around and seeing him on stage. And then my band, my two guitar players were great. So I was having fun. My bass player, everybody, we were fun. But it's also one of those things where we're four or five guys where I would call them and go, hey, I'm going to this bar we go to in Nashville, Red Door. You guys want to come down and have a beer? Cool. And we'd sit there and piss ourselves laughing for, you know, so everything was good. And then I get this call from the Daisies. And they're like, hey, we want you to check this thing out. And I initially said, no, not interested. Marco said, come on, dude, just just come out and meet everybody in L.A. So I flew out. I met I met Fortis, and who I'm still good friends with, and Tishy and uh, Dizzy Reed and uh, all the guys. And I was like, okay, this could be cool. And initially, they said... We only need you like 26 weeks a year. And then your thing will help our thing. Our thing will help your thing. And it was my dumbass because I assumed 26 weeks a year, you mean, you know, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. And then I got the whole rest of the time. I can go to Europe or do whatever. But the thing wound up taking off. It started to grow, and it got to the point where I didn't have any time for anything. And so I just kind of thought about it, and my son was busting my balls. He's like, hey, dude, you know, Dad, look, I moved to Nashville, man, to be in your band. Like, when are we going to play? And I felt, fuck, man, I want to, I kind of want to be my own guy again. And it's, it's, it's not even a... You know, creative thing, like when you're in a situation like that, you bring a riff in and you're like, here's how I'm hearing it. But then you got four other people you got to kind of clear it with. Right. And somebody goes, well, what if you took that riff and you, you know, and then it gets watered down from your initial thought process. But it's also you're dealing with, like David, the Lowy, he put the band together, so he's got a manager. So I'm kind of dealing on, their schedule 
Like I, I work when they say we're working. Okay. And I was like, eh, fuck, you know, like I want to kind of be my own captain again. So now I can go and I can, I can go on tour for a couple months and I can call my agent and go, you know what? In April, it's my birthday. I want three weeks off. I'm getting in my coach and me and my wife and my dogs, we're going to Key West for two weeks. Don't call me. So I'm, I'm, I'm my own captain. Yeah. And I like that. Um, so I just kind of after whatever I told them in, um, we were in Europe. Um, I forget who we were, we were touring Europe. And I just said, listen, man, I, I, I got to be honest with you. Like, I think January 1st of 2019, I, I'm going to leave. I, I want to go back to doing what I was doing. And they were like, oh, okay, cool. You know, and, but they asked me not to say anything to anybody. And it literally took them from January till whenever they let it out that I was out of, I'd, I'd been out of the band. I had already been on tour doing my shit. Like I was doing solo acoustic shows all through Europe and all this other stuff. And people were asking me about it. And I'm like, <laughs> like just looking away, like I can't say anything. I told them I wouldn't say anything until they found a singer. And then I let them release their thing. So whatever. Um, it's all, it's, it was mutual. Everything's good. I still talk to David Lowy all the time. Richard Fortas and I have actually been co-writing for my solo record. Okay. Um, I just did some shows with Brian Tishy in Las Vegas. We did the Aerosmith live bootleg record in its entirety yeah. together just for fuck all have fun. Um, still text Dizzy. I still talk to Doug. I still talk to Dean. We're all friends and there's no bad blood at all. I still talk to Marco. Um, you know, it's just, I just kind of wanted to be my own boss. You know what I mean? I'm 61. Like, I don't want to fucking live by somebody else's schedule. I don't want to, you know, I want to do a record because I'm, I, I felt creative on my own, on my own pace. And here's, here's my 20 songs. I don't want to do a record because we got one month to do a fucking album, you know, like, uh, so I just, it's just, uh. I'm happier. I'm a lot more relaxed now than I was before. So, yeah, yeah we actually had. Uh, That's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> we had Brian on the podcast a couple times, and the last time was like literally, I think, two days before he was going to Vegas for for that show, bootleggers mm-hmm. thing. So, how did that? How did that go? We had a blast. Yeah. But you got to know Brian. I love Brian to death, but he is fucking a poster boy for APD. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So he goes, yeah, we're going to do Aerosmith Live Bootleg. And I go, okay, cool. I you know, know most of those. Then we got to his house. And he's like, well, what if we get an encore? What we should do? And so I wound up being like five or six songs that we threw into a thing as an encore. And uh, so we did that. We learned them. So we do the show, and it was great. It was packed. We had a great turnout. Sounded awesome. No flubs. No mistakes. 
And uh, and you just did the album in its, in order yeah, in its we, entirety? Exactly okay. the order of the record. Okay. And then we walked off stage, and Brian's like, let's do the encore. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, what do you want to do? He's like, let's do them all. And so we went up doing like another seven songs. I'm like, motherfucker, dude, seriously. I need to ask you for more money. <laughs> this is crazy. This is work. But it, I, we, you know what? I had a fucking blast and um, it, it was, it was really cool. It was good. I love Brian's playing, but he's like, he's like a fucking God on those drums. So it was good to see him and hang out with him and kid around and joke and, you know, be sarcastic with each other as we usually are. And uh, it was pretty cool. The, the show was great. Cool. Something else I saw your post right after Eddie passed about that backyard party. Mm-hmm. Like, how did that whole thing come together as far as you being part of the band that was playing that night? Well, I, I actually, I had actually met Eddie quite a few times through Tommy. Tommy and Eddie were really good friends. They golfed together and silly shit. There was a few other things they do together, but we won't even talk about that. (laughs) Um, But there was a few nights at at Tommy's house. um, We just went over and had some cocktails and hung out, listened to music, talked about music, whatever. And, um, And then I went and I did Union after Motley. And I kind of lost touch with him. I didn't see him for a while. And, and it was funny. So I I was used to do this thing on Thursday nights at the Cat Club in L.A. And it was called the Starfuckers. And it was just this rotating cast of characters. Um, usually it was Eric Dover. When Ryan Roxy lived in town, he was involved in it. Ryan moved to Sweden. Gilby Clark would come in. Uh, I would come in. There was Teddy Zigzag. He would play keyboard some nights. Dizzy Reed would play keyboard some nights. And then uh, this guy, Stefan Adika, played bass 99% of the time. Muddy Waters, uh, Muddy, uh, not Muddy Waters, Muddy Stardust, played with Elegons and Chris Robinson. He would come in and play bass sometimes. And then Slim Jim Phantom owned the club, and then he played drums. Eric Singer would play drums. Tishy would play drums. It was just whatever. And uh, we had Jerry Cantrell come in one night and play guitar with us. We had Brian May come in and play guitar with us one time. Slash came in several times. So there was just this fucking free-for-all, and we would just do all this old 70s music. And I don't know if it was Dover or Stefan. They got the call and they go, hey, man, Eddie Van Halen's having a party. He's setting up a full festival stage in his backyard, wants us to play. We said, all right. Now, I hadn't seen Eddie in a while. And so he knew me and Motley. Then Ian and I went and saw him when they were on tour with, it was Sammy was singing Skid Row. Okay. And it was funny because I walked in and I had cut my hair. So it was like shoulder length. And he's looking at me. He goes, I know you, man. Where do I know you from? And I go, dude, I, John, I used to sing with Motley. Oh, fuck. Hey, dude. You know, well then 
when we showed up at his house, at this point, I completely cut my hair. It was like Rod Stewart, short, you know, Union-esque. And I walked in, he's like, where do I know you from? And I go, dude, it's fuck, it's John Karabi from Motley. Oh, hey, man, fuck, you look totally different, no beard, you know. Uh. And, but we, he just wanted us to play all our shit. And then he was going to sit in with us, and he asked us to learn, well, Eruption, the three chords in Eruption. But you really got me, John, uh, in talking about love in Panama. And we just had a blast. We went to his house and rehearsed. And then, fuck, it, it was funny. We rehearsed, and then he wanted to jam. So... I grabbed Stefan's bass, he played guitar, Tissue played drums, and we literally just sat there and just started playing, like, all this old Cream and Zeppelin and just all this killer, heavy Sabbath, like, whatever. And we had a fucking blast for, like, three extra hours. And then the next night we went back and we actually did the show, and it was funny, man. It was so fucking drunk was drinking wine like right out of the bottle and I'm sitting there going fuck like he's trashed I don't even know how he's gonna play and he fucking walked on stage lit a cigarette grabbed his guitar plugged it in tweaked his amp and it was like the sound and he fucking played like a god and I go fuck I I hail you do you know what I mean But I, a lot of a lot of my friends, I, I wish I had the photo. I'll show it to you. It's on my phone. Um, he was like Howard Hughes to me. Yeah. Now, this is just my opinion. But he was like Howard Hughes. He would do like these weird, random things. And one of them was he had these motorcycle boots. Like, you know, like this. And... One of the boots, I don't know if it was his right or left, but he had duct tape. I mean, the fucking, it was coming apart here. So he just had duct tape rolled around the front of one boot. And the other boot, like from here, it was gone. There was nothing there. So he put the boots on it. It was his foot. You sit there looking at, I'm looking at his toes on the, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he, 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 so he was drinking his wine. He had the shirt on and had stains all over it. And I literally, after we did the gig, the more I thought about it, I'm like, man, like, is he like, what's his deal? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I called his manager and I go, dude, what size shoe does Eddie wear? And he goes, like, 10 or 11, whatever, 10. And I go, all right, I'm going to go buy him a new pair of fucking motorcycle boots as a gift. Like, I don't even, whatever. I just, this is, why is he wearing those fucking shoes? And he goes, dude, if you looked at his closet right now, he's got 200 pairs of boots, sneakers, all that shit. That's his favorite pair of shoes. And he won't get rid of them. He's not going to get rid of them. You can buy him all the boots you want. He, he'll... Put them right in the fucking closet next to the other ones. And that's the shoes he's going to wear every day. <laughs> so I was just like, what the fuck? Like, you know, there was like this, that part. 
But then he would sit and he would tell you something, like he would play, or play piano, or there was this one thing that Eric Dover was talking to him about, his rig, and we asked him if he used the wireless, and he said, no, I don't, changes my tone. And so Eric was going, well, you play these huge fucking stages, dude, like, so you're telling me you use a chord. And he goes, yeah, he goes, how do you use a chord like that long of a chord without losing signal as well? And Eddie goes, I'll tell you. So, you know, guitar chord is high impedance. So I plug it into my guitar and then it goes into this box that he designed this tiny little box, maybe this big, plug it in to high impedance, it converts it to low impedance, and then it travels back to his amp 50 feet away, 100 feet away. And then he's got another box there that converts it back up to high impedance, and then it goes into his amp. But something with the low impedance, it can you can travel a mile, and it it won't fuck with the signal and it won't fuck with the sound. So he converted it from high to low all the way back and back from low to high. And he invented this little fucking box that did the converting. And so that part of it, you would go, God, the guy's a fucking genius. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you look at his foot again and you go, Oh fuck. He's, he's, he's putting piss in a bottle and saving it for later. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what the fuck? Like it was, it was very, Howard Hughes-ish, never left his house, and it, it was just mind-boggling. Like, I I mean, I feel bad for Alex, and, and even Mike Anthony was crushed, and, you know, Wolfie, and, but it's, it, like, this was, you know, when we were in the studio, 5150 was showing us, he never recorded anything digitally, it was all analog. And then we saw this room, like we're looking at it, there's the drums and the bass and everything. They played together, mic'd everything. But he had this other room with these curtains like this. And I go, oh, what's... He goes, oh, it's my storage thing. It's where I keep my tapes. It's climate control? Yeah. And so Dover and I, we literally walked, like peeked in and went into this thing. And Eddie's like, anything with numbers has got music on it. And I'm telling you, dude, like, without any exaggeration at all. So, maybe from here to the bar, from the pole to that blue wall, that was the size of the room. And it was probably 15 feet high. Shelves all the way down that wall, all along that wall, all the way up this wall. Loaded with two-inch... Ampex tape boxes and we're just sitting there looking at the boxes and we go I looked at Dover and I go dude every one of these boxes has got numbers and shit on like writing so this is all music no one's heard before (laughs) and then there was stacks of them just laying on their side on the floor just this high and I go 
This was in 2004 or five, around that time. Okay. I go, dude, knock on wood, if anything happens to this guy, they're going to be releasing Van Halen material for the next 20 fucking years. There was so much fucking music in this room. So, again, like Howard Hughes, who would lock himself in a fucking, and make all these business decisions, you know, from an airplane or in a room with, you know, that's, that was Eddie. <laughs> like, he, it was just my, he was so, such a nice guy, but also really complex. Right. The, you know what I mean? It was yeah. crazy. Like, you're looking at this, the studio was pristine, all these tapes. The guy's like, oh, yeah, you know, I just get up in the morning, I have some coffee, and I come up here, and I just, I never leave the house. I just stay here, and I, I jam. I write shit. <laughs> and then you walk out of the studio, and there's probably ten cars in a row, like these killer Porsches and Maseratis and Mini Coopers, and, like, all these cars lined up with, like, four inches of dirt on them, all flat tires, leaves all over them, and you're just, like, looking at the shoe, looking at the cars, then you look at that fucking little box that he, and then all the shit, and I go, fuck. <laughs> I'm not comprehending. I'm not, is this guy nuts, or is he just a fucking genius? Like, one of the two. Do you know what I mean? And I think it was a little oh, bit yeah, of, a little bit of both. It, but what a dude. What a great guy. It was fucking awesome. And that took that. I was like dumbfounded for like a week over that. Like just online looking at every Van Halen live concert eruption. I, I think I've seen every version of eruption live you could possibly see. But just what a genius. Just a fucking genius. You know what I mean? You remember? Like I'm, I'm 43, so I just, they didn't really come on my radar until like 1984. Yeah, I was like eight, nine. But no. you remember the first time you heard it? Like, because I hear so many people oh. in the past few weeks talk about how it blew their mind when they I heard had, eruption yeah. for the first time. I had a cover band, and I hadn't heard anything. My brother-in-law was my guitar player, and he was he was like, I mean, I'm talking 16, 17, 18 years old. He was one of these. Uh, guitar players, my brother-in-law uh, in Philadelphia. He could play... I mean, back then, he was he was learning, like, all the guitar solos, like, note for note. Stairway to Heaven, no problem. Heartbreaker, Led Zeppelin, no problem. Then he started getting into, like, progressive stuff. So he would even learn, like, Steve Howe. Uh, yes, yeah. all that shit, like that finger picking, the thing, he, it's called the clap. And he fucking, and he, so I went to his house one day and he goes, dude, you got to hear this. And he had the vinyl. He put that fucking Van Halen's first Van Halen record on. And I was like, I, I mean, right from the get go. I don't. I don't even. I think "Running with the Devil" was the first song. Right? So even the bass tone. It's so fucking big. I'm, so that comes in, and then, and then the guitar, and I'm like, 
the fuck is this? The guitar solo, the tones, and then I heard Eruption, all this shit, and I go, what is he doing? What is, you know, what the fuck am I hearing right now? And I saw them in Philadelphia at the, fuck, I think it was the Tower Theater, and it was Van Halen, Montrose, and Journey. They were the first band. (laughs) And they were like, ugh. And then they came back to Philly. I missed it, but all my friends went and saw them, I think, with Sabbath. And they were like, dude, that fucking Van Halen band, they blew Sabbath off the stage. And then they just blew up, and they just got to the point where, like, every time they would come, I was either playing in my cover band or... Or, like, the tickets would sell out, like, immediately. And I finally got to see them on the Fair Warning Tour. I mean, I thought that was, like, they were fucking peaking at that point. And I just, I just sat there. I'm like, they walked out and they just sounded louder than shit. But they just fucking sounded insane. And Eddie, to me, to me. Like, everybody talks about his lead playing, but to me, his rhythm playing was just so in the pocket. Like, I can't listen to, like, Mean Street. It's not the... It's all those little... Like, all those little things he puts in there, where there's that one riff, he goes... That rhythm playing is so fucking tight. And, uh, mean, like, I just sat there, I was just completely blown away. And then I got to meet him and become friends with him. I was like, wow. Not (laughs) friends loose, but friends. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah, I was, that's going to be a big one. Just the fact that there are billboards. Yeah. All over America. And New York City named a subway station uh, Van Halen Avenue. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. There's a subway. It's on It's on Facebook. You can check it out. But they literally immediately went in and took his subway stop. And they called it Van Halen Avenue. And, you know, I mean, even in Nashville, Keith Urban. Like, that guy just fucking, if you played guitar... You had something to say. You yeah. know what I mean? And even the country guys, the Keith Urbans and, uh, you know, whatever. I can't think of them off the top of my head. But they're all like, dude, he, that guy was the shit. Yeah. So it's that's going to be a big loss, you know what I mean, in the music industry. Definitely. Well, something else I had written down you already brought up was I was going to ask you whatever happened to that book you were talking about years ago. I'm done. And so now you're talking about you're writing it this year. It's it's all it's done. Completed. Okay. It's completed. It's called Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Okay. And uh, um, I'm hoping to release both early next year. Right yeah. now we're getting photos together and getting the cover together and you know getting all the thank yous and all that stuff. But it's done. So, like, how how would that process go for you? Did you sit down and like 
type it on the computer? Did you handwrite it? Did you have no, someone No, I actually had some help. Talk to them, that uh, kind of thing? No, okay. it, and it, it all came about last year. We were in Australia um, doing my Motley 94 thing. And a good friend of mine, Paul Miles, he's got a site called Crucial Crew. And Paul actually did a lot of the research for Neil Strauss with the, the dirt, okay. a few other things. And whatever, we're just sitting there talking and bullshitting. And, and, you know, Ian was with me and Topher, my bass player, Phil and Jeremy. And we're just sitting outside, hanging out, having a beer. And just Phil would ask, or Paul would ask me a question. And then, you know, Phil and, and asking about Mick Mars and different things. And I'd tell him these stories. And Paul finally goes, dude, you got to write a book. And I had thought about it, and and it probably would have been done five or six years ago. But I started to get a little nervous or worried because I felt, I started to look around, like when I initially was going to write it, I, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do a book. I get all these stories. Well, then I started looking around, I'm like, well, oh. Okay, so Aerosmith did a book, and Marilyn Manson did a book, and then Nirvana did a book, and then, you know, then, you know, Slash, and then Joe Perry did a book, and Steven Tyler did a book. And, and then it got down to the point where it's like everybody did a book. Yeah. And, then it, and then I just, I was at a music convention somewhere, and it was like the guys that worked with Kiss, their crew guys from the 70s, did a book. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm fucking jumping on a bandwagon. Fuck it. I was going to do a book, but I'm not going to do it anymore. Fuck it. I, I feel like I'm jumping on a bandwagon. Everybody's doing But then Paul talked me into it. He goes, nah, dude. He goes, your story's different, man. People, I think people want to know. They want to. <clears throat> so he goes, I'll help you write it. And then he showed me he's written a few books. So I said, all right, fine, fuck it, let's do it. And so he basically got a bunch of questions. He did all his research, old interviews, and asked me different things. And he, he literally put together a list of probably 200 questions. So he goes, it says on your, like he would, now he's in Australia, I'm in Nashville, so... It's 10 o'clock at night. I'm having a cocktail. He's just getting up. So I'm Friday night, 10 o'clock. It's Saturday morning, his time. He's having tea. And he goes, yeah, so according to your Wikipedia bio, it says that you were born in Philadelphia. You know, what were your... And then it was just... Uh, so it was like three days or four days of just these verbal, like three-hour, two-hour interviews. And I would just tell stories or talk about my parents or my grandparents coming over from Italy and, like, all this shit. And he just kind of did a loose manuscript, and he sent it to me. And then I went through it, and I read it from top to bottom, and I changed things that were wrong or maybe a little off. And I would just go in and correct everything on Word. And then I sent it back. And then he would look at it, all the changes, 
and he would incorporate them and then add a few things or do another interview and then take away something and add this and he'd send it back and I literally read this book and made changes like five times <laughs> and then you know and we finally got it to her we're like okay you know what enough's enough you know but it literally goes from you know my birth back to the very beginning talks about you know my my dad's side of the family and my mom's are like we're you know second generation they were my dad's side of the family came from Calabria, Italy. My mom's side of the family came from somewhere in Ireland. And, you know, and it just, the neighborhood I lived in and, you know, just everything. It goes all the way back. It explains the Uncle Jack. Uh, if you're familiar with the Motley record, you know that that was about my uncle. And it goes through all of that shit. Marriages, and divorces, and infidelities. And, and then... The bands as well, like what I was going through trying to get a record deal or once I got the record deal or, you know what I mean? So it's literally like, it's not just focused on Motley or one band. It's literally like my life from front to back, right up until now, to be honest with you. Like what's it go up to just like this past year, basically? Dead Daisies, you know, like Dead Daisies, leaving the Daisies to uh, get back into pursuing, you know, my solo career and making John Karabi a, a brand or a household name. Do you know what I mean? Whatever. So it's the whole kit and caboodle. And there's no punches. I mean, I know I'm being honest. I know there's a few people I'm probably going to piss off, a few ex-wives and whatever, but fuck it. It is what it is. Yeah. You know, it's honest. So, no biggie. Cool. Well, final question for you, besides obviously working on this record and that book, how have you spent your personal time during this pandemic of not touring? And the book, kind of the yeah. record, uh, teaching myself Pro Tools. I took okay. that course. That was a couple weeks. Um, and then, honestly, I'm um, like gained a bit of weight. Now I'm on a diet. I've lost, you know, 15 or 20 pounds of the weight that I gained. <laughs> and just trying to be busy man like it's it's weird i'm 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 a little bit of a weird individual like if i sit too long and start thinking i tend to get really dark um moody um almost borderline depressed so i've just been trying to you know hey i like right before we came out here i just my wife is a hairdresser and I said, um, I'm bored. She's like, yeah, me too. Could use a vacation. I go, fuck it. Let's go to Florida. <laughs> we just got into codes. Our dog, another couple from Nashville that we knew. And we just went to Destin, Florida for like three days. Swam, got some sun, which I think was good for everybody. Yeah. And then back in the coach and back home. And then a few days later, I left to go do this. You know what I mean? So. I'm just trying to keep busy, man, like everybody else, you know, whatever. It's just it's been a weird year. Yeah. Well, obviously, you wouldn't be here if you didn't want to be, but does it weird you out at all to come out to a show now? I mean, I know this club's good. At I can only, listen, I can only do what I do. Yeah. And it's like, I've got my own coach, so I'm not flying anywhere. Right. 
I'm pretty much secluded there. I even went as far as buying my own microphone, so I don't have to use a mic, or nobody has to use a mic that I use. So I have my own mic. When I walk in the door tonight, I will be wearing a mask. And I'll go do my thing, and I'll play. And, you know, even last night, everybody was, for the most part, was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you want me to take pictures, but I'm not taking the mask off. But in all honesty, I, I was kidding with everybody yesterday. I said, you know what? 20 years from now, we can look at this photo and go, this was 2020 because everybody was wearing a mask. You know what I mean? We know. It's dated. Don't even have to date it. It's dated. So they were, they were, uh, everybody was pretty cool, man. You know, and that's like, like I said, man, I'm not, I'm not getting anything from the government. And, you know, anytime I can go work, just trying to be as responsible as possible um, and, and do my thing. And take precautions, not just for me, but for everybody. Like even like I said, when I go home, I'll go to this football stadium in Nashville. I'll go get a test. I'll get my results, and then I'll go see Marty. Just trying to be cautious. That's right. So, uh, but it's it's been a weird year, and who knows? Maybe they'll have a vaccine for it. Maybe like the doctors are saying, no, I don't, I don't see anything changing until second or third quarter of 2021. Right. Whatever. I I don't know. I'm not a, (laughs) the thing that I fucking hate though, I will say this is with the internet, everybody's become a virologist, a biologist, a political analyst, <laughs> and I'm fucking over it. Yeah, that's the one thing Infectious that I've been, disease expert, oh, dude. <laughs> it's like seriously, the last time I saw you, you were fixing my toilet. How did you? How did you? When did you get your? And when? When did you become smarter than the guy that's on the fucking news right now talking about this? So I, I, I'm they, they, like all the conspiracy theories and shit. It's like whatever. It always bugs me whenever all these people that run their mouths about everything then say about a musician or an athlete or an actor, they should just shut up and do their job. I'm like, well, you're running your mouth. Why can't everybody else give their opinion? So I've always appreciated that you put your political views well, out there. Well, I don't, I don't really. In a way. I, I mean, don't. Like, and, and, and. I mean, you could read between the lines and kind of see where you're at. I could, well, now, now here's the deal though. Like, I think. At the end of the day, man, like, I just, I just believe in humanity. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't give a fuck. You want a gun? I, I consider myself, I don't know, maybe a liberal. But I, I also have some conservative viewpoints as well. And I'm like, I got a gun. I got a gun on that fucking RV. Whatever. Yeah. Not against it. I think it's these. Let me back up and answer your first question. (laughs) Now, I have friends in Nashville that are very conservative and are like, oh, you know, well, I I voted for Obama, but, you know, whatever. He fucking ruined the country. And they say whatever. And 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 they agree with me that I think it's gotten out of hand the civility part of politics. I don't give a shit who you voted for. I don't really care. 
Yeah. We're all Americans. The thing that bothers me is that you can't say I voted for Trump without somebody fucking wanting to bash your skull in. Or you can't say, well, I really, I don't, I dislike Trump. I voted for Hillary without. Now, they, but the funny thing is they both say, oh, the other side is the one. No, motherfucker, if you actually read some of your own posts, you'd realize that you're being just as vile as the people that you're complaining about. Yep. That's the thing that drives me nuts. The hypocrisy of the whole situation. Yeah. And we're like, I love these guys, you know. And I have friends, man. I, I have friends in Nashville that do this. They're ex-military guys. I salute you for that. I didn't serve in the military. And you you did. So I salute you for that. But they're constantly verbalizing, I fought for freedom in this thing. I demand your respect. Well, you've got it, bro. You've got it. I appreciate the freedom you fight for. And then they turn around on the other hand and they go, that fucking jerk off Colin Kaepernick fucking taking a knee, man. What the fuck is that all about? And I'm like, well, that's exactly what you fucking fought for. <laughs> right. I, I, I don't understand that. It's kind of plain as day. Yeah. I, I, call me whatever you want. Now, would I do that? Probably not. You know what I mean? But it's just, it's the hypocrisy of our entire fucking system right now. And it's all because of those. Yeah. Did you see The Social Dilemma yet? I have not. I've got it. Please watch it. Okay. Please watch it. Because it, like, I was like, oh, there you go. <laughs> and, and, and the whole thing, I'm, I'm spoiler alert, but it's basically a documentary. And they have the guy that invented Google, and the guy that invented Facebook, not Zuckerberg, but the programmers. Yeah. And Instagram and Twitter and all these things. All these guys, they were like back in the in the very beginning, they were programming this thing. And he said, now it's gotten to the point where, like, literally, like, there's, he said, there's banks, like buildings, which, like 100,000 square foot, 200,000 square foot buildings throughout America, which is banks and banks and banks of computers. He goes, there's even ones that we have underwater for cooling, these rooms underwater, which is banks of computers. And he goes, now what happens is, he goes, like, so I, it, it's funny. If you and I were to sign on to Facebook at the exact same time and, and do the news feed, my news feed is going to be completely different than your news feed. Right. So what they said is the computers have done, basically, they call it a clone. They clone you. But what they've done is they profile. So... If, you, if you're sitting there reading and you're like into hunting and you see something about an elk hunting, you stop, you look at that, the computer registers, he stopped on the elk hunting. <laughs> but it not only tells the computer that you stopped, it actually, the computer actually times how long you've read the story. So did the story hold his interest to the very end or did he just read the first paragraph and switch to something else? So it literally models 
your profile to computers. Wow. And so at the end of the whole fucking thing, you got to watch it. It's, it's fucking unbelievable. But he goes, they ask all these guys, well, how do you see this turning out? And this guy goes, well, he goes, basically our computers, our design, our things have basically created a world where every fucking individual in the world lives in a world that doesn't, there's nothing contradicting them. Like their newsfeed is designed, right. good or bad, fake, facts, what, whatever. They live in a world where they're always right. Yeah. So when I come along and I go, you know, fuck Obama or fuck Donald Trump or fuck Hillary Clinton or fuck, if it, it's like, whoa, well, fuck you. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're living in a bubble. You're always right. And then someone comes along and disagrees with you. You're like, whoa, I'm not used to that. And the guy actually said, I think it was the Instagram guy. He goes, well, how do you see this turn? None of them. They all have kids. Are your kids on social media? They're like, nope. <laughs> not one of them. Wow. Not one of them. And then he goes, how do you see this turning out? He goes, well, uh, you know, to be honest with you, he goes, I don't scare anybody, but civil war. Wow. So you have, like I have my buddy Ryan Weaver, the military guy. He's very Fox News, conservative, pro-Trump, like all this other shit. And I could sit here and go, look, Obama, Obama fucking came up with a cure for cancer. His version is, no, he didn't. Yeah, Trump did. Obama stole it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just this fucking eh, 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 that we live in it's it's not going to get better until people realize that most of the shit we're reading on this little fucking device is it's just to give you what you believe in right do you know what i mean yeah it's a brilliant fucking thing and honestly i saw it like a month ago i posted something about it and i went i'm done <laughs> so now all these stories that used to make me mad it would get a rise out of me, and I would go, "No, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it now. I'm just scroll, keep scrolling, read it. Uh -huh. Funny. Um, I've got a completely different mindset about the whole thing. Now, the other thing you were saying, you can read between the lines. Maybe you can, but my my thing is, I fucking hate. I hate. I don't give a shit. Like. You know, I know Robert De Niro is, like, really anti-Trump and all that shit. Whatever. That's his right. He can say whatever he wants. For me personally, you're never going to get a fucking peep out of me. There's not... And I, I highly doubt anybody will find anything negative Trump on my thing. Or negative Obama. Or negative Hillary Clinton. Or negative Bernie Sanders. Nothing. And everybody goes, I have people ask me, like, who are you voting for? I go, motherfucker, that's why they have curtains on the voting booth. Right. Do you want me to tell you what I confess to my fucking priest as well? That's why they have curtains there. Like, I, that's the problem. Yeah. I don't want to fucking tell you who I voted for. Keep guessing. 
<laughs> doesn't matter, right? You know what I mean? It's a private thing, man. Nobody needs to know. Like, why don't you start taking fucking photos and posting them of your fucking shit that you do in the morning after your coffee? <laughs> Same difference, right? You know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. Voting is a personal thing. It's keep it to yourself. Yeah, I don't want to fucking know anything. But it does irritate me, like, you know, you're going way, way back to your original thing. Like, a plumber will sit there and go, man, them fucking football players just keep their fucking mouth shut. And, da, da, da. you know, they're fucking bunch of spoiled, rotten fucking pricks and making millions of dollars. And, you know, they don't give a fuck. Well, yeah, they kind of do. Yeah. You know, you're just angry because you're not making the money they're making. Yeah. You're doing the exact same thing. Why don't you shut the fuck up? You know what I mean? If you shut up, they would probably shut up. But you're fucking shooting your mouth off, and they're just giving their fucking two cents, too. That's our right. Yeah. So, everybody just shut the fuck up. I'll be over in the corner with my Jameson and my fucking vape machine and my guitar. Leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) You know what I mean? Don't want to hear anything. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but I I just, I I, I just, it's really sickening to me. That's why I wrote Rise Up with the Dead Daisies. And I actually had a guy give me shit. He's like, dude, I don't fucking appreciate, you know, you're fucking slagging Trump. I go, really? I go, let's, and I was literally going back and forth with the guy on Messenger. I'm like, okay. So I went to Pages, I took my lyrics, I cut, cut, pasted them, and I stuck it in the email, and I sent it to him. I go, where, 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 what am I, where am I talking about Trump? What I'm saying is, if you got that side over there, and that side over there, I go, if they would realize, they're just battling each other, and while they're doing that, motherfucker in the middle regardless of party is robbing them blind because they're busy fucking arguing with each other my guy's better than your guy your guy's better than my guy and I go and, and I said this in interviews if you took any hardcore conservative put him over here in a room a liberal put him in a room and said now I think it was the bill of rights first thing in there says there's supposed to be separation of church and state. Okay, so let's take all of the moral shit out of the equation. Throw that over there. Gay marriage, abortion, all that shit, put it over there. Because that government shouldn't have anything to say about that at all. Right. Throw it over there. Now, you take these two guys and say, what do you want out of life? They're all going to see the same thing. I just want a nice house. I've raised my 2.3 kids or whatever. I want a dog. And I'm health insurance. Take a vacation every now and then. Put some money in the bank for a rainy day. And I don't want to lose it all if I have a heart attack at 40. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I, I, again, even the gun thing. It's like everybody goes to the worst case scenario. It's not a gun thing. You know, you're sitting here going, I'm pro-life. Abortion's out of the question. But the day those 26 kids were killed at Sandy Hook, 
the NRA was there going, and all the people that are pro-life were like, yeah, we're with you. And I'm like, maybe it's my brain, but I just sit there and go, do you not see the hypocrisy of this? Right. Like, well, it's like the, people, the guys that have a truck that have a Trump flag, a Confederate flag, and a don't Trump flag. I mean, these things kind of contradict each other, but that's a whole other. Yeah, I'm, I mean, you know, again, you know, have your boat parades. I don't care. I don't care. But I tend to look at, like, I, I don't say much. I like just kind of keep my mouth shut, and I'll listen to people talk. And I don't care if they're whatever. You want to say my side, your side, whatever. If they see my point or not. But if I think that there's something hypocrisy there, I'm going to say, dude, you're, you're being a little bit hypocritical right now. I even had it out with my buddy Ryan. He, he was fucking, he wanted to fucking hang Colin Kaepernick by his fucking testicles. And, he, and his argument is, dude, I went to war. I'm a two gold star. I, like, I lost my brother and my brother-in-law in the war fighting for that flag. I don't like it when a motherfucker takes a knee. I go, no, 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 hold on. You weren't fighting for that flag. You were fighting for what that flag represents, freedom, right? The freedom to speak, the freedom to this, the freedom to that, the freedom to this. Now, it may annoy you, it may anger you that somebody's doing that, but that's exactly their right. He's not burning a building down. Yeah. Now, when they were rioting in Nashville and burning buildings down, I was the first motherfucker on there going, what the fuck, what's this... What is this accomplishing? Because I don't agree with that either. But you do have a right to protest and march. You do have a right to take a knee. Or, fuck, I remember the 1968 Olympics. The dude just put his hand in the air. And they were fucking almost skinned alive when they got back to America. I also remember Muhammad Ali wearing a gold medal in the Olympics. And he came home a hero at a fucking parade for him. And then he went to a local burger place thinking he could finally get a burger in Louisville, Kentucky. And they called him a nigger and told him to get out. They weren't serving him. So he took that medal and went to the bridge and he fucking chucked it in the river. He said, fuck this. And then they asked him to go to war and he said, no. Going to war? Fuck you guys. He goes, I don't have a problem with the yellow man over there. I have a problem right here in America with you guys calling me a nigger. That makes sense to me. I don't know why. <laughs> like, you may not agree with it, but I, I, I sit there and I go, okay, I could see why the guy'd be pissed. Yeah. Fuck it. You know what I mean? So, it, it's, that's the pain of having, to me, a democracy. <laughs> You're saying everybody's got their freedoms. That Statue of Liberty, welcome. Come on in, immigrants. Come on. Do your thing, be productive, go forth and prosper. You know, you're, you're free. You can say what you want. If you don't like the president, you can say what you want. But suddenly it's starting to become really convoluted and jaded. You can say what you want as long as I agree with it. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm not fucking digging this shit. Am I going to move to another country like everybody says they're going to do? Right. No. <laughs> but I have a coach and I have a gun. 
And if you try to fuck with me or my coach or my family, I'm going to use the gun. Whatever. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a redneck as well. You know what I mean? But I just, I just don't take hypocrisy. And I'm sorry that's 20 minutes of your life you're never getting back. Oh, I, I love it. That's great. You know? And it's just, that's this, you know, being democratic and being free is not easy. And that's the thing I just don't understand, you know? And that's the beauty, like, that I will say to my friend Ryan, who I don't agree with, it's not easy being a democracy. And he knows he sacrificed a brother and a brother-in-law. And he served 21 years in the military as a Black Hawk operator. But it's funny, like, because I do see a lot of posts, and I just sit there and I go, Seriously, dude, that's, you know, that's what you fought for. You don't have to agree with it, but that's what you fought for. Yeah. Kind of. Freedom. What does that, that's a big fucking umbrella, bro. Big umbrella. (laughs) But you got to deal with it. Yeah. Sorry. There you go. John Karabi, of course, formerly of Motley Crue. Union, Dead Daisies, The Scream. Man, 24-7, we could go on right. a list of a few other things. The Eric Singer Project. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I will tell you that I have Motley Crue self-titled on cassette. And That's I have right. the live set that he did uh, of that on cassette as well. That's right, you got that on cassette. Goddamn right, It just came out a few years ago. Yeah. For the- and really, I'll just put that on if I want to listen to it. Because I, you know... I've been back and forth, but I'm really, you know, unless it's Karabi, I, I just, my Motley Crew, you know, I just don't really care anymore, so. Really? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I've never been shy about my opinions on Vince Neil Live. Right. But I still love Motley Crew's recorded music, you know, yeah, so. Yeah, and, and that takes nothing away from, you know, and also, say what you want about Tommy Lee, I don't care, whatever, but that guy is literally one of the best drummers on the planet. And it's not because, I mean, of course he's got the talent and the chops, but there's just some kind of feel that guy has in his playing that is just, it's unlike anything. So listen to Primal Scream or listen to the whole self-titled Molly Crew record or whatever, you know, fuck Methods of Mayhem, fuck that, whatever. <laughs> but I mean, th- this guy's feel is just, I don't know, it's crazy. Well, yeah, the Karabi album is one that a lot of people point to as his best work. Oh, I, I, I agree. I think it is. That and like Primal Scream, I mean... I don't know, dude. I mean, that is some just otherworldly drumming. It really is. Yeah. And even Generation Swine was written while Karabi was still in the band. Exactly. Yeah. And, so, and several of those songs on Generation Swine, you can hear, like you could easily hear Karabi singing like Let It Pray. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff, which I know that there was, I mean, I think there's. I was there was talk forever that there was actually recorded tapes of him singing several of those songs so that'd be cool that'd be hear. cool to hear that some somehow some way someday yeah. but we probably won't unless nikki six passes on and someone else gets control of that stuff <laughs> <laughs> and to expand on that mick mars is kind of in that wolfgang van halen trend of i've been working on a solo album for the last 27 years right but right not literally but we've been hearing about it for the last few years yeah. and one of the the words from it was that Karabi recorded at least two songs with him. And I think originally 
I could be totally wrong about this, but I think originally make it ask crowd that you do the whole thing, but it didn't it didn't work yeah, out with no. schedules at the time. Right. So, but whatever, whenever that finally does come to fruition, I'll be really excited to hear that because it's supposed to be leaning a little more heavy bluesy sounding. That's awesome. So, something else to look forward to if you're a Motley Crue fan or just a Karabi fan or just a Mick Mars fan. So, but yeah, a huge thank you to Doug Burgess of our sponsor, DEB Concerts, for helping put this one together. Quite a privilege for me. John Crabby is one of my favorite vocalists of all time, in case you haven't figured that out yet. So if you're a first-time listener, we greatly appreciate it. We recently hit 300 episodes, and very glad to kick off this next batch of episodes with, with John Crabby. So if you want to dig back through some stuff, I mean, hell, we've had on a lot of guys from that that style of era of Motley Crue-style music, like... Frank Hannon of Tesla, Gene Simmons of Kiss, Bruce Kulick, who was in union with John Gravy, and of course, Kiss and Grand Funk Railroad, Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard, Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses, Glenn Hughes, the man who took over for John Gravy and the Dead Daisies, and of course, a ton of other great things like Deep Purple and Black Country Communion. The list is pretty long now, so check through all that stuff. You can listen pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard, and you can also listen directly on our website at thethunderunderground.com. There's also reviews there. You can also buy merch there. You can also email us if you've got any comments or any suggestions or anything, thethunderunderground at gmail.com. Follow us on our socials. Those are also on our website. Like, share, all that great stuff helps out a ton, so... All right. Once again, a huge thank you to DEB Concerts, Sunset Tattoo, Med Farm, Hella Hot Hot Sauce, and John Karabi. And until next time. I got to go make a cup of tea and find out what time I'm playing tonight. I don't even know. Thunder Underground, y'all.